0: So as I said a moment ago, Simchat Torah is uh, this holiday uh, where we rejoice in the Torah. The joy of the Torah literally is what it means. Simcha, if you're not familiar with it, simcha is a word that we, that's what we call like a happy, uh, a happy event, like we just had a bat mitzvah uh, on uh, this past week, we call that a simcha, Right, uh, a joyous uh, time, a joyous moment, and so Simchat Torah uh, is the joy of the the joy of the Torah. Uh, you might be saying, "Well, where in the Bible is this holiday?" Well, you're going to have to look high and low, uh, and uh, and you won't find it. Uh, it uh, it's a holiday that was developed in the history of the Jewish people. Approximately a thousand years ago, give or take a few hundred years, uh, and it, uh, it developed when the liturgy developed the, of reading the Torah in a yearly cycle, in a, in a cycle of time. Uh, and, uh, and so it was decided in, a, you know, in Jewish uh, tradition that at the very end of Sukkot, that would be the correct time. And that kind of makes sense. Given the fact of uh, the year, how the year works, remember that we said that if you've followed all the holidays, right, that they're driven by agriculture, right? So the seventh month uh, is this month that is the end of the year and the beginning of the year. So it kind of makes sense that this would be the time of year when we would conclude reading the Torah and we would begin uh, reading the, uh, the Torah. We also read in the scriptures in Deuteronomy that uh, every seven years on Sukkot, we'd read the, uh, you know, read the Torah. So it, there's a relationship between Sukkot and reading the, reading the Torah. So it all kind of makes sense that this would be the time of year. And uh, also, the, uh, you know, uh, the eighth day yesterday, the eighth day, Uh, is this extra holiday. You know, Sukkot is seven days long, then it says on the eighth day you shall have a holy convocation. And that is a very interesting uh, time. That is a a day when we pray for rain. It is a day also of uh, rejoicing and having an extra day. And that's kind of in in the Jewish lore, in Jewish tradition, that uh, the purpose of the eighth day is that God wants to stick around uh, with his people a little while longer. Like if you're on a trip visiting family, visiting people that you love, you say, you know what, let's stay an extra day, right? So it's it, it, it sort of functions in, in that way. It's funny, the text of the Bible actually never says what the eighth day is for. It's just there. Uh, and uh, and so this would be the ninth, like a ninth day of, uh, of uh, celebration. Uh, and so what do we do? Well, we express our Love for God, our love for uh, His faithfulness, uh, our love for the reconciliation and restoration that we have by uh, taking the Torah scrolls and walking around the sanctuary with Him. Very similar to what is done on Sukkot, uh, of taking the Lulav and the Etrog and walking around uh, the, uh, the, uh, the synagogue, walking around the sanctuary. Rejoicing uh, in the Lord. So on Sukkot, we're taking the fruit of the land, the provision of God, and and you know re- rejoicing with it. Then on uh, on Simchat Torah, we take the Torah scroll itself uh, and walk around uh, with it, as it were, rejoicing you know with the covenant itself, you know, with the promise itself. Uh, and so it really is a very joyful. A celebration. And when you think about the history of uh, Jewish people, of the Jewish people, you know that there's some high points and a lot of low points. But uh, God is uh, faithful uh, and the Torah is still uh, with us, you know, as as we would say. Uh, And so we indeed uh, rejoice. So the question uh, for us might be just a little bit about. This issue of uh, you know loving uh, loving God, rejoicing in, in the Torah, uh, and there's just uh, some thoughts to remember uh, about it. Okay, first we could say that you know it's one thing to uh, it's one thing to say I love you, Lord. Uh, it's one thing to take the to come to a service uh, and take out the Torah scrolls. And walk around with them and have an opportunity to, to hold the the, the, the the Torah. And we're demonstrating, certainly, uh, a love for God. But uh, if we're really going to uh, love God and have joy in His Word, well, then uh, I, we can't forget about it. We can't ignore it. We can't uh, give it lip service, Right. I uh, if we uh, uh, I would say here, we, we cannot love the Torah and forget about it. We cannot love the Torah and ignore it. Living the Torah way of life uh, can sometimes mean uh, struggle and difficulty uh, and sacrifice. And so we demonstrate our love for the Torah, the joy of the Torah, by surrendering ourselves to God you know, do with us what you will, and this word uh, doesn't bend the culture, uh, we bend the Torah, right? It, it sort of has its sway uh, over us, and so on uh, Simcha's Torah, uh, we celebrate not only the giving of the Torah, but also its incorporation into our lives, uh, and how God's word Makes a difference and brings transformation, right, uh, 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 to our uh, to our lives. So that's really something to rejoice uh, rejoice in. So it's interesting. The passage that is traditionally read on this day is the end of Deuteronomy, but not just a couple of verses. Uh, a good portion and uh, chapter thirty three of Deuteronomy is, is read. And that is a a very interesting chapter, and I just wanted to draw our attention to the very beginning of it and the very end of it, okay? Just the very beginning of it and the very end of it. So in Deuteronomy 33, it is very interesting, you know, the the end of Deuteronomy is very rich in poetry. We're familiar with Hazinu, Deuteronomy chapter uh, 32 which sort of gives Israel a reminder in poetry of history. And then you have in chapter 33, this great blessing with which Moses blesses the people. And it's also in the form of a song or in the form of poetry. And you can read it all on your own. It's very interesting. But it says at the beginning, now this is the blessing which Moses, the man of God, blessed the sons of Israel before his death. By the way, just a little uh, interesting thing uh, about that. If you... uh, Well, you don't have to turn to it. I'll just tell you. But in Psalm 90, okay, the superscription, you know what the superscription is? That's the little words at the beginning of the Psalms, right? The little words right at the beginning of each one, right? They're actually verse 1 in uh, in the Bible, in in the Hebrew Bible. I don't know if you knew that or not. That's actually part of the Word of God, those little... And it's just a tradition to uh, make them like uh, this, you know, to lessen their uh, importance by making them like in a tiny little font <laughs> uh, above the uh, you know above what is often called verse one. But it's verse one in the Hebrew Bible, and frankly, it beats me as to why it's not verse one in all of the English translations. So it's just a tradition, okay? Anyway. So in Psalm 90, the superscription says, a prayer of Moses, the man of God. It's very interesting that when you look in Deuteronomy 33, it says, now the blessing with which Moses, the man of God, blessed the sons of Israel. So it's just kind of interesting that Psalm 90 is attributed to Moses, uh, and so is Deuteronomy 33, and they both say Moses, the man of God. There you go. Okay, Uh, so... Moses, uh, this is the blessing with which Moses, the man of God, blessed the sons of Israel uh, before, his, uh, before his death. So Moses isn't going into the land, right? But he blesses them. Uh, he, he shares words, uh, imparts words uh, uh, upon them to enrich them, uh, to encourage them. Uh, And it's very appropriate that they're read uh, on uh, Simchat Torah. So it says uh, in verse 2, And he said, The Lord came from Sinai and dawned uh, on them from Seir. He shone forth from Mount Paran, and he came from the midst of 10,000 holy ones. At his right hand there was flashing uh, lightning for them. Uh, Indeed, he loves the people. All thy holy ones are in thy hand, and they followed in thy steps. Everyone receives of thy words. Moses charged us with a law, a possession for the assembly of Jacob. And he was king in Yeshurun when the heads of the people were gathered, the tribes of Israel, uh, together." Uh, and so you see here this this great statement about God, about God being King, about God dispensing these words, uh, and uh, and how precious and you know and how and how good it is. So in a way, the Torah ends with this great description of God as King. God is King, uh, and um, uh, and then at the end, in the last few verses, it says in verse twenty six. There is none like the God of Yeshurun, who rides the heavens to your help. And through the skies, in his majesty, the eternal God is a dwelling place. And underneath are the everlasting arms. And he drove out the enemy from before you, and said, Destroy. So Israel dwells in security, the fountain of Jacob secluded, in a land of grain and new wine. His heavens also drop down dew. Blessed are you, O Israel, who is like you, a people saved by the Lord, who is like the shield of your help and the sword of your majesty. So your enemies shall cringe before you, and you shall tread upon their high places. And so you have this great statement about God is their protector, God is their king, God is the one who dispensed his word. And our response is to rejoice. Uh, and so we, uh, we rejoice with the, the Torah scrolls that serve uh, as a, uh, not only uh, uh, as the, wor- the word, but also as a symbol, the, the scroll itself, you know, as a symbol uh, of who God is, the symbol of his surety, the symbol of his truthfulness, the symbol of his, uh, of his loving kindness. In a way, the, the Torah scroll itself is sort of like a, uh, almost like a ketubah, one might say, you know, the the, the ketuba, the marriage contract, uh, and and so we hold on to it and we rejoice in it, recognizing uh, how wonderful God is as our King, as our Lord, as our husband, and uh, you know, and uh, guide and uh, and protector, and so. Uh, I think those are some important things to remember Uh, in Deuteronomy 33, God's kingship over Israel. Uh, And it certainly reminds us, boy, you know, uh, the way it describes a God here, it reminds us of the love of God as we read about it in the Shema, the unconditional love of God as we read in a variety of places in the seventh chapter of Deuteronomy and, and elsewhere. And then finally, we just want to remember how great this word is, uh, and uh, and how and how marvelous it is. You know, it isn't something that is this millstone around our neck that we have to try to figure out, which is often how it's portrayed. And sadly, that is often the way the entire Bible is portrayed for for many people. It is this book of rules and regulations that uh, you know that uh, just. Uh, reeks of guilt, <laughs> you know, but it but it is very interesting. That is not how the godly people in the Bible look at the word. It's joy. It's marvelous. It's wonderful, you you know, and uh, and that indeed should uh, you know should should challenge us uh, when we think about the faithfulness of God and God has given us this marvelous way of life, and so we rejoice in it when we're restored to God. We've we have, we've repented, we're reconciled, we're restored. And wow, if we're restored, that means, boy, you, you know, we're, uh, we're in a place where God wants us, uh, and hopefully we find His Word to be refreshing, uh, uh, as, as it were, living waters, right? Okay. So the last thing we just want to say is to, to affirm, uh, you know, the greatness of God's Word, and there's no better place... Uh, for that than Psalm 19. Psalm 119 is fantastic, but we don't want to read all 172 verses, okay? Uh, But it is fabulous, by the way. It is fabulous, okay? It's actually a lament. It's very interesting. But that's another story for an MSI mini-course, okay? So uh, in Psalm 19, okay, uh, it's interesting. uh, When you read the beginning of it, the first six verses... It talks about the greatness of God, how marvelous God is himself, right? The heavens are telling of the glory of God. That's how it starts. It can't get any better than that, right? The heavens are telling of the glory of God, and their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech. There are no words. Their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out throughout all the earth. Their utterance to the ends of the ends of the end of the world. In them he has placed a tent for the sun. Again, you know, he's looking at nature as like this this nature reveals the glory of God. Looking in the sky, looking at the horizon, reveals the glory of God, the majesty of God, the greatness of God. Right? And then it says in verse 5, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber. It rejoices as a strong man to run his course. Its rising is from one end of the heavens and its circuit to the other end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. So, the majesty of God, so it reminds us of God is is the king, God is the creator, right? And then there is this word that he has dispensed, his revelation to us. You know, the the, the word he doesn't leave us to just Uh, look at him as all-powerful, but he is related to us uh, in his word, right? So then you read in verse 7, "...the law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes." The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold, yes, uh, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey in the dripping of the honeycomb. Okay? So, uh, uh, well, I'm just going to read the rest of it. Moreover, by them thy servant is warned, and keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Acquit me of hidden faults. Also, keep back thy servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not rule over me. Then I shall be blameless, and I shall be acquitted of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. So, it's, you know, in verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect. Complete, you know, complete. Uh, Restoring the soul. Restoring comes from, again, the, the word return. To come back to the place where uh, God wants us to be. The testimony of the Lord is sure. That means true. True and right. You know, true and, uh, uh, and, and uh, faithful is, is probably the best way to say that. Making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, straight or proper. Rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure. Uh, you know, precious and pure, uh, enlightening the eyes, and, and so here the word is viewed as as something that is profound and beautiful and right, uh, and that is what God has indeed given us. And really, uh, you know, when you when you look at this uh, the description of the Torah, perfect, sure, right, and pure. Certainly, it reminds us of Yeshua, right. Yeshua, the living Torah, Yeshua, our Messiah, the Word made flesh. He is indeed the living Torah. He is true, right, as, uh, as the Word says. He is gracious. He is indeed the, uh, the very compassion of God. He is the loving kindness of God. Uh, and, and so when we are walking around with the Torah scroll, we're rejoicing not only in God's faithfulness, in giving us the Torah, but in, in sending the Messiah, the, the one who internalizes the Torah, the one who, who puts it within us, the, the one who empowers us to live it out so that we can truly indeed rejoice. So certainly uh, on Simchat Torah, we are rejoicing not only about Sinai, you know, and God giving us the Torah at Sinai, but we're rejoicing in the revelation of God himself Right? In the person of, uh, of Yeshua. You know, and that great verse in um, uh, uh, John chapter 1 always comes to mind in, in these kinds of uh, settings and, and days like this. And in John uh, chapter 1, in verse 17, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth were realized through Yeshua, the Messiah. Grace and truth, okay, uh, and law are in opposition. They, they, they're not talking about different things. <laughs> okay? They're not talking about different things. As if you have law came from Moses, but, but grace, that came from the Messiah. You know, that's not what this is saying uh, at all. <laughs> all right? It's talking about that through Moses, uh, Torah was given, but in Yeshua... Grace and truth, or Torah, is realized, becomes personal within us, lives, dwells within us, is real within us, right? And uh, very, very important uh, to to understand that. And uh, grace and truth are certainly uh, attributes that we read about God uh, in uh, Exodus chapter 34, and, uh, and so not only is just grace and truth as attributes of God realized in Messiah, but, as, but in, in, in a way, the, the attributes of God uh, are a mirror of the Torah itself. That the Torah is, demonstrates, or reveals, uh, whatever term you want to use, the attributes of God that you read about in Exodus chapter 34, and that Yeshua is the living, uh, is the living Torah who dwells within us. So when we rejoice in the Torah, we're rejoicing not only in what was handed to us by Moses, but is, but in what is realized within us in Messiah Yeshua. And uh, so, hopefully, as we uh, sing tonight, and as we. Um, uh, walk around with the Torah and rejoice and we sing, we might uh, remember that. Remember the great attributes of God of, of uh, grace, mercy, uh, uh, truth, uh, loving kindness, uh, the, the, the uh, perfection, the completeness of the Torah, restoring uh, our soul, uh, being uh, refreshed uh, and tasting it as, as honey, one might say. And uh, may we, as we uh, uh, sing and, and carry the Torah around and, and enjoy all of that, may we dwell on the goodness of God and the greatness of God and, uh, and all that he indeed means. Amen.